Mickey. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I really have to say, you continue to amaze me. You were so lovely the first time I met you in the parking lot of a Chinese restaurant. You showed up at my house at Montrose. You've been, you've, oh God, there's, there's just, hang on. This is Facebook being weird. Stop. Um, so sorry about that. Um, You've just been lovely at every turn. You you actually read my book. You yeah. Uh, you oh, connected. by the way, Shelby loves it. She oh. loved it. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk about Shelby for a minute. I sure. I don't get it, Tommy. I don't. Your wife is the most gorgeous creature on the planet. She I, has I, not aged one day. That. I can't argue with that. No, she is. Almost freaky. It's not almost freaky. It's freaky because okay. So tell us how many you guys have been together. How many years, Tommy? Our oldest daughter is over fifty. <laughs> I... <laughs> now, in on all, all honesty, I have to advise, you know revise how old I am compared to Shelby. Okay. I, it used to be ten years, but now it's thirty years. <laughs> Okay. We got thirty years difference because somewhere along the line she's uh, she's managed to stay looking incredible in every which way, every which way. I mean, and, does she ever let you see her without? Oh yeah. You see her like all natural and everything. Oh, totally, totally, and it amazes me because she makes her own clothes. You know, she makes her own dresses, and so. I, I walk by and, and she's half naked, struggling to get into some sexy little dress, you know? And I stand there and, and watch for a while. <laughs> and then she- I bet you do. She, she shoes me away, you know, you pervert. <laughs> and oh. so I said, yeah, sorry, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, I am. And uh, no, I mean, she is just, and she's not alone. She's got a sister up in Vancouver that's, as freaky. Now her sister, you know, she's had her Shelby had what three three kids. Her sister Forrest has had eight. And oh my gosh! The three of them, or four of them, are well over six foot. Forrest and like Shelby, they don't fucking age. She's skinny, gorgeous, and she's a a cello celloist in a string quartet in Vancouver. Wow. I mean, I mean not only beautiful, but super talented. And, and Shabby, you see her. She here. Her girlfriends are kind of pissed off at her because, <laughs> <laughs> because like they'll all post for pictures and, and then they'll fight about I don't want to be next to Shelby. I don't want to be next to Shelby. And then <laughs> and then when Shelby gets too sexy and she's so sweet about it. Because she doesn't mean she's just being her. That's just her. She's not out to hurt anybody's feelings, but just her usefulness. You she's know. unbelievable. And, yeah. and it, what's amazing is, you know, like a lot, everybody gets help. A lot of people get help. But if she's getting help, she's getting perfect help because it doesn't show at all. And that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying her best friend was this a plastic surgeon he's no yeah. longer a plastic surgeon he's retired yeah uh, dr joe john joseph was his name uh 
that was her second, I guess. Uh, but they're both artists. See, Shelby's an artist. She's, she's got, I got paintings all over the place that she does. In fact, I got a whole row of these paintings that I, I had to dig out of the garbage can because they were practice paintings. And so she practiced and then she was going to throw them out. And so I, I'm digging through it, you know, I'm like living with Picasso, you know, finding out these, wow. because every, every one of them, they're gorgeous. Uh, and they're, they're my collection. And so what, what it is, is, is she's such a good artist, you know, and, and that everything she looks at, she has this art artist uh, quality about it or uh, ab obsession. It's a better word. It's an obsession. Things ah. happen. And if they don't look right, then she does, she's not, you know, she's not comfortable with it. And, and she just, and she's harder on herself. Now, I know, I know that she, that I know that beautiful women like you guys, I, I know that you know the effect that you have on an audience, on people. I know it. Because well, I, I am not in Shelby's class, so I don't know. No, but you are. You are <laughs> in so many ways. And you are. And you know it because uh, you affect people. You walk into a room and, and boom, all of a sudden people are affected, you know, and, and that's the way she is. I have no problem. In fact, I, I love it. I, I love the, 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 the attention and, and, and everything that goes with it. The hard, there's no hard part, by the way. Hey, come on. We started to talk about this before we came on the air, about being with an Aquarian and a free spirit. Come on, there has to be some stuff that's a little challenging about it. Well, with me now, the only challenging thing that I have really is... See, when, when you transition, and, and that's what, when we leave this planet, this, this life that we're in, you know, we don't disappear. I agree. We, we just change form. Totally that's agree. All, that's all we do. Now, when I was in prison, I learned, when, when it was a hard lesson, but when you get to the end of your sentence, all of a sudden, everything changes around you. People's attitude toward you change because you're going to be leaving, say, in a month. It, right. It's about a month. When, when it's come down to that you get out in a month, then all of a sudden, people pull away from you. Wow. Once you, when, when you were once uh, relevant, then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, you're really close. Now you're not any close anymore. And all of a sudden, things change. And then, then to the, eventually, at the end of your sentence, you are totally isolated. You don't really have anybody. Wow. Isn't that something? That, okay, so now, I haven't, we know that you had a very famous jailmate. Yeah. In, uh, yeah. Wolf, uh, of Wall uh, Street in Jordan. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. So well, did he pull away well, from you as well? Well, what... Uh, Actually, uh, yeah, yeah, actually, yes, that was where it was, you know. Wow. We were close when we were both, down, you know, getting, but when you're getting ready to leave, boom, all of a sudden you're all alone. You don't hang out with anybody because 
you don't want to have those kind of goodbyes. And they actually, we used to have, uh, we had a few goodbye dinners, you know, and because I was such a celebrity, I was invited to almost all of them. And, uh, but then they quit having those. They, 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 no more official, no more of those goodbyes, you know. And I don't know why. I, I, it just happens. But it was a phenomenon. And, and then, and, and so as you get older as a human being, uh, especially guys, you know, uh, the, the older you get, the more you lose the, the sexuality, the, you know, the reason that you're here, basically. To procreate. Yeah, yeah. And so, but if the person you're leaving behind is still in the prime, uh, then things become a little sad, mm -hmm. awkward at times, but inevitable. And, and it's, it's a tough pill to, to swallow. But there are other rewards that, that come with it, you know. And, and so when you, you don't lose, you can't lose something that you will never, you'll always have, you know. You, can, you can't keep these moments, you know, either the moments we're having now, even though it's on tape and we're playing back, these moments that we're having now, they're, they're going to be gone. They're done. We're we're finished, and you can't hang on to these moments. And and what happens, uh, like I say, with the with the with the prisoners, they all of a sudden you're alone. And and contrary to a lot of opinions, a lot of people think you know that just bad. You know the bad people in in jail. You know you're convicts. You're criminals. You did this. You did that. They're human beings. They're human beings. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, when you get incarcerated, it's, it's really to save your life because you're, you know, on a, such a destructive path, you know. And, and, and there was one time, right after I got in there, I, 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 there was one kid used to uh, kind of entertain everybody. Because uh, for a while there, they had a contest between dormitories, okay? Whoever had the cleanest dormitory got to be the first to go to the mess hall Saturday morning. Because Saturday morning, they had a, a routine where you could order eggs any way you want them. <laughs> if you got there earlier. Uh -huh. Okay? And so this one kid on our thing... We would win all the time because we had crazy uh, uh, mess freaks cleaning the bathroom. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everything would be so spotless. You could eat there. And, and, and so he would be the first in line because he had a way of fast walking and he would always be the first. And he was first to get into the mess hall. And then if he did that, then everybody got to order their eggs the way they want them. <laughs> but, um, about a month or so into my, my sentence, you know, I was really enjoying, enjoying them. I think his name was Steve. Steve was a very popular name. Anyway, I noticed Steve sitting 
off to, you know, like they had indoor, outdoor kind of things, things, you know, a lawn area, and there's one little drainage area. And the, the Steve was sitting off to by himself. And usually he was bubbly and entertaining everybody. And so I asked somebody, I said, what's with Steve? And he says, he gets out next month. And uh, and so I thought, well, then why is he so sad? And the guy just looked at me. You know, you don't discuss feelings in prison like that. But the truth really was is that he belonged in prison. My son. Why did he belong in prison? Because he did not belong in the street. On the street, he became a heroin addict. The minute he would get out, he would stick that needle in his arm and do whatever heroin addicts do in order to get the next fix. As long as he was in prison, he was clean. Wow. He was away from that thing. So he knew that the minute he got out, he was going to kill himself. And that's what he did. Oh. That's what he did. He, he oh. ended up ODing. Oh. The kid, you know, that was so happy to, and, and so, had he stayed, he would would have been alive. But you see how our, see how the system works. See, Tommy, I remember you. We were talked about the I Ching last time, and you were saying that the first time you did the I Ching, it said you're in prison for a reason. Yes, and we didn't talk. We did that was at the end of the conversation. Did you discover? And I think I know the answer. But did you discover what your reason for being in prison was? Uh... Yeah, oh yeah, oh eventually, oh yes, oh for sure. It was uh, really to do what I'm doing now, you know. Had I not gone to prison, I wouldn't have been infamous. And so when the when the weed got legal, I was the the, the poster boy on CNN, all the Fox, all of all the all right the outlets. I got to be first name basis with Don Lemon and. And I was on Bill O'Reilly's show. I was on all the TV, the right wing and left wing shows. Wow. Because, because, uh, it, because of my jail time for right. a long I was on jail. Okay, so, so now tell everybody, I know why you're, why you were sent to prison, but tell everybody why you were sentenced. Uh, they, uh, George Bush started the Iraqi war and they were trying to sell the public that the reason he started the war is that Iraq had these weapons of mass destruction. In other words, he had these nuclear uh, rockets or something they were going to use. And so it's best that America comes in and, and, uh, and uh, take over Iraq because that, that Hussein, Saddam Hussein was so dangerous. And so America, uh, you know, this, the Vietnam War was prolonged because of the hippies' uh, protest mm -hmm. to the war, mm -hmm. and and what happened, it brought attention, uh, and and uh, and next thing you know, Nixon rallied the right wing idiots, and and the Vietnam War just lasted longer than it should have. So you think the protests escalated the war? Yes, absolutely. Because then all of a sudden, you know, well, we can't let these people defeat it. We're America, you know. Can't let the commie hippie, long-haired hippie bastards, you know, that Jane Fonda, that that, mm -hmm. that uh, traitor, you know. 
that you know and they were right <laughs> all the hippies were right that, you know and vietnam proved us right vietnam kicked our ass out of there you know and we left we shoved our military equipment into the ocean and, and hightailed out of, out of vietnam you know and so when the iraqi war started brewing uh, they were looking for some hippie action and they looked around the only ones they found were with my bombs the only weapons of mass destruction were Tommy Chong's bombs. <laughs> and so the feds came after me and they had me go on trial at 9-11, 03, can you imagine that? Really? Yeah, 9-11, they sentenced me to nine months in jail on 9-11. What specifically was the crime that you were convicted of? It was transporting uh, bombs? Uh, transporting paraphernalia across the state line in the now form this, of water pipe. This was something that you had been doing for a while. It was the first time you did it. What, what was the scenario? Not only us, but there was a whole industry, you know. But they went after you. Drone. They went after the whole industry, but I was the only one that did jail time. See, everybody else got house arrest or whatever, and uh, I was the only one that they're looking for publicity. Right, they were making you an example. They were, they were, they wanted to make an example. They thought we were going to get some jail time under me, and then they thought they would bust me for weed infractions. They thought, you know, they thought I was that character, you know, <laughs> and so right. they, they would, they would have people offer me weed in prison all, all my whole time. Really. Yeah, and I, and I had a dog, you know, my best friend, an old biker, you know, Steve Larson, he, he would shoo him away, get that shit, get on, get out of here. And so, and then after they would try to set me up, they would bring me into uh, control to uh, do a pee test. And so I, I peed most of the time when I was in there, I was in there peeing in a jar and handing it to the guard. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, so... And is and I never touched it. I never touched weed until I until I was off probation. I would not. I, would, I wanted to be as clean as a whistle. I wanted to embarrass uh, the government, and I did. I actually did. Now and I didn't know that you were clean all that time. So, yeah. as a marijuana addict who doesn't smoke anymore, what was it like for you to not smoke for all that time? Oh, it was incredible. Loved it. Really. Loved it, yeah. I had no problem. I, how how I, so? What, what was different for you? Well, I went, I went, I, the I Ching took my ass away, you know. Mm -hmm. so, as soon as the I Ching said, you're in prison for a reason, I said, well, I better check this book out. <laughs> and so I, I became an I Ching uh, advocate, and then I got And wrote into, the I Chung, yeah. Yeah, and, and then I wrote the I Chung, and then I, uh, I got into... Uh, uh, What's the name? Joel S. Goldsmith, you know, his books and Emmett Fox. And I just turned the, the whole experience into a religious retreat, spiritual retreat, not so much religion. Although uh, if they had any kind of religious par uh, party or meal, I would be invited, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, so with the, I, I've had some pretty good, I had some pretty good meals in, in, in prison, you know. They're all different ethnic groupings, and then we had our own cook, and you know we had our own dining room actually uh, area, and so no, I had it, uh, I had it made. I, I wanted to make. I didn't want to 
be one of those prisoners, you know, oh, we got Tommy Chong, you know, he's in the hole, he got smoking weed or like they, I, I, I was never a criminal, you know, I'd been in jail before, you know, in Canada for this different assault fighting, you know, assault kind of stuff, you know, uh, but, you know, I own nightclubs in Canada. So, so, you know, that, that's, that's a gimme right there. You know, you're going to do some kind of brawling. But it, it didn't matter because, uh, you know, deep down, I really was who I am. You know, I'm a very spiritual guy. And, and, and uh, so I just took advantage of that, you know, and just really just pushed it to the max. You know, I was in jail for a reason. Okay, what is that? Reason? You know, what, what? okay, make weed legal, you know, and, and that's what happened. You know, because people start thinking, so we Tommy Chong in jail for what? Bongs, you know. Next thing you know, they find out it helps with uh, uh, epilepsy. You know, that's that's what got it legal. You know, Dr. Sanjay Gupta is on CNN showing the world that uh, little shot of uh, Charlotte's Web THC uh, uh, marijuana would uh, elimin eliminate the the the. Uh, strokes that she was having the epileptic strokes so was that kind of, yeah you also used it yourself for health reasons haven't you oh totally totally i i injected uh, cbd right into my butt and it, this is when i had uh, prostate cancer as well as rectal cancer in fact they they carved out uh, a new exit for me they moved the exit from the rear to the front. <laughs> but you, you did you not do traditional treatment? Did you only do this? Oh no, did no, you do I, both? Oh, I did everything. You did everything. The thing is, pot will make you wise enough to choose the experts. <laughs> you got to remember that, you know, because it's not pot alone. You know, pot just opens the mind. That's all it does. It opens the mind. And it tells you also what the CBD is that you don't need painkillers, you know, use this healthy CBD and, uh, and the THC and that affects your mind. You know, that's, yeah, that's why you forget, you know, people say, oh, I come into a room, I forgot what I was here for. You know, people start getting worried, you know, that they're, they're no, you're not losing your memory. The good thing about not remembering shit is that there's a lot of things in people's minds that they should forget. You know? and, I would like to have an eraser for some of the things that I have in there. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, talking about people that are on the wrong, you know, the wrong side of everything, you know, and they think, well, one of the things, you know, uh, I get driven a lot now because uh, I, I test so much product. <laughs> That's a nice way to say it. I stay, I stay <laughs> obliterated as much as I can. And, uh, and there are times when I'm being driven somewhere, I will totally forget where I am. And that's so exciting because now <laughs> I, I'm, being, I'm in new character. I never knew my house was, that, was there. <laughs> oh, oh man God. you just gotta enjoy your life yeah. 
Tommy, if I could be, have been, could be as productive as you are stoned, I would have stayed that way myself. You know, I, I still have this. You gave me one of these the last time I saw you. And it, you haven't smoked it? it I, I haven't smoked weed in 22 years because I just like the weed too much. But Because uh, I wasn't productive like you when I was smoking pot. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm glad for you. I'm glad for everybody, you know, as long as you're happy, you know. That, 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 you know, it's it's actually a a relief. You don't have to, you know, find medication. But with me, because I get handed so much medication, you know, it's kind of like my job now. You know, so so, so let's uh, talk about some of this. So the last time I saw you, you were my absolute last guest before the pandemic. Everything shut down right after I saw you last. Yeah, wasn't it something? It was crazy. And I talked to Shelby. I had Shelby on the show during well, the pandemic. And you guys, yeah. you guys were being pretty uh, secluded. You were, oh, you, yeah. you were oh, doing the whole thing. Totally. I loved it. It was like being in prison again. You know? <laughs> did you, did, did, except with a beautiful cellmate, which yeah. you did for the first time. Yeah, I can't go wrong with that. So oh, did, did you guys... Um, did you guys ever get COVID? Shelby says we did. I don't remember. Hmm. Shelby says, yeah, yeah, we had it. Yeah, I know the rest of the family, Paris, everybody else, they got it. And Robbie just got a case of it. I got the shots almost as soon as I could. Hmm. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think I had, I, I got COVID. Maybe I did, you know, Shelby says we did. Is she ever wrong? <laughs> no. And so when did you guys start going back? I assume you're back to re to regular living. When did you make that decision? How did you do oh, it? it? Started, well, we started, we traveled down to Mexico and, and we spent uh, the spring break in Mexico with our kids and, and their kids and everything else. And there was no restrictions down there then. You know, no, there's few people wearing masks, but very few. You know, it was somewhere at a resort, and uh, yeah, just yeah, that's it. That's that's. And what so we're... since then, you just you just you live normally as as yeah, if you're... normally. I mean, it, uh, we went to a few uh, art things during the pandemic. We had to wear the mask. And we went to Hunter Biden's art show. He's a good artist. Mm -hmm. he, he, no bullshit. He, he can draw. Um, but let's see. Yeah, that was what the, you know. That was you felt it there, you know. And and we were we were we went over to uh, to Italy and took a drawing course during the pandemic. Wow, it was and pretty tight in Italy for a while because they it had was fucking empty. <laughs> there wow. was they were so glad to see us you know wow and, you know come into the restaurant we'll be the only ones there you know maybe another wow. another people yeah everything was you know slow to a crawl wow yeah and then we were in florence uh, for a while yeah it was it was it was, it was cool you know the, yeah the pandemic just another day in the life of earth <laughs> That's all. And you guys were productive. You and, and Cheech put out a, um, 
a chronicle of a brief history of, of weed. You got oh, yeah. that out there in the last yeah. year or so, right? Yeah, yeah, we did a few things. A few, few things got out, got, got in, involved in it. Uh, yeah, we, 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 we did that. And we stayed cool. And Cheech, you heard about Cheech's uh, art, art gallery. Huh? Anyway, he, uh, this group of people, including uh, uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. Okay, they got together with Cheech and they turned the uh, three-story library in Riverside into an art gallery featuring Chicano art. And they called the building the Cheech. Wow. Oh, that. That's pretty spectacular. It is a three story, beautiful building, entirely dedicated, called the Cheech. Wow. And, uh, and he's got his art collection. His art collection is so extensive. He had like a couple of trailer trucks you know, loaded with, with his art because he started collecting Chicano art back in the 70s and then you know years went by and, and next thing you know his art collection just got to the point then he started uh, showing it in some of the museums and then someone said hey how about because the proceeds go to uh, a scholarship to help uh, young Chicano artists how fabulous is that <clears throat> oh it's incredible incredible but are you guys are you guys still uh are you touring or are you no, no 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 more no more live shows i i gonna i went out by myself a couple of times and i i we plan on going out again uh we want to get shelby hooked up with some product you know so so that we can she should do some lotion for sure you know something that <laughs> you want to look like me with the defying <laughs> age lotion yeah. yeah 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 the magic sauce you know the magic yeah the magic sauce indeed yeah and and then and then when we get that happening you know we'll, we'll, we'll open that door but right now you know it's getting exciting we were going to go uh public on on the stock market and uh then the then the pandemic hit you know Wow. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're still playing with that idea. We own uh, a couple of delivery services. We own some, I don't know how many grows or whatever we got yet, but we're, see what happens, we, the weed has to be rescheduled. See, right now it's still schedule uh, one, which says it's a narcotic that has no medical use whatsoever. Well, that's wrong. And that's why they're letting people out of jail, but they haven't changed its uh, status yet. And so, yeah, until they change it from schedule one to schedule two, and when it's a schedule two, then we can bank our money. Because right, right now, if you're in the weed business, it's all cash, you know, and that's-, and that's is it, Isn't it still a felony? I guess it's gotta be in the book somewhere, you know, other than that, you know, it, it's on the book somewhere. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just, you know, forgiving, it's like forgiving debt, you know, you got to do more, you got to reschedule it. So, so, it, and you, you would think it'll be done. It'll be done. You know, everything that's happening now, you know, <laughs> we're, we're getting a Trumpectomy right now. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. 
<laughs> I read on Twitter today that they're going to send that they're going to send them to jail for not producing documents they're asking for. I don't know if that's bullshit or not. It was just on Twitter. I, I didn't see it on the news. He's, he's going to go to jail for something. Oh, I hope he's we don't know. Go we, to know. Jail. we don't know what it is yet, but uh, it's going to surprise us all. It'll be some little stupid. Jaywalk. Right. It'll be something stupid, of course. <laughs> oh no, withholding government uh, documents. Well, that yeah, right now that's what they. What I mean that. I mean about. because they got they got precedent of people going to jail for exactly that crime, mm -hmm. you know. And so no, no, he's he's history. But what's happening is the Democrats are just flailing this guy. It's not hanging Mike Pence. It's really beat the shit out of Donald Trump while he's hanging there <laughs> because he's alive and he's he's getting flailed. <laughs> this was happening. He's being flailed legally. Look at all the women that, that are coming forward, you know. And, yeah, and but still, come on, Tommy. He should be in orange in an orange jumpsuit a long time ago already for all the shit no, he's done. Not, why? He's a power. You want to destroy the Republican Party? Get rid of all the Lindsey Graham's and the Ted, what's his names, and all the those, and all those Marjorie Taylors and all no. those. And get some like intelligent human beings that that are conservative. See what's happening with the with the real rich conservatives is, is that they're being uh, ushered out of the the whole food uh, thing, you know, uh, especially the oil people and the and the energy people. See these people, they're the ones that are clinging on to trying to cling on to power. You know, but they're they're losing it, and that's just the way it's going to go. You know, and so they're they're going to uh, eventually, uh, you know, we'll we'll AI our way out of everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So talking about getting out of everything, let's talk about how you got into everything because I was shocked when I first met you to discover that your way in was not comedy; it was music. Yeah. And so. When you're a little kid, and I know you had a pretty traumatic coming into the world, you were talking about your mother raising Ray Dawn, but your mother didn't raise you at the very beginning, no, I remember. No. What, what happened? Well, she got uh, TB, tuberculosis. And so she was, back then, she was quarantined from us for five years. And so I never saw her. Uh, and then during that time, they found a spot on my lung. And so I went into the children's hospital, which was, that was my earliest memories. I mean, I kind of remember little, little bits and pieces of my babyhood, mm. but, but, but my real memories came in the hospital because I was a little brown guy and uh, I had all these young, beautiful nurses <laughs> coming, hugging and, and, you know, fondling the little brown guy that, that everybody thought was so cute and and but every morning i i, I had to wake up and get a, a needle shot in the butt you know and because i was a little guy that, that that i remember the pain of it all and so i uh and then when i got well enough to leave the hospital my dad drove me to the orphanage which was the salvation army home and so then I went from the right from the hospital right into the orphanage. And then I was in the orphanage for about a year, I guess. 
And then my mom and dad, my mom finally got out of the sanitarium. And then uh, my dad bought this uh, little uh, bungalow without running water or, you know, just outdoor plumbing. And well, we, I found out we were natives and, and we're like, we're living on the res. You know, that's, that's exactly what we were doing. And that's exactly who we were. And so I've known, known that prejudice all my life. You know, I know I firsthand, you know, we're, we're talking about that uh, on one podcast. It was about, you know, about, uh, you know, being, you know, the, the so-called woke, you know, about being, uh, making too much out of uh, Black uh, History Month. And, uh, you know, it's just really white racist trying to just interrupt <laughs> the flow of, of information. You know, but when I was a kid, I experienced all that and, and uh, racism, and I experienced. Uh, but what I also experienced was that if you made friends with the biggest guy in the playground, then you were cool. Yeah. <laughs> and did, uh, did it cause that. you to? Did you get tough as a result of it, or did you just hang with the tough kids? No, my brother was older. He was three years older. He got tough. Mm -hmm. He was tough. He got beat up enough times that that uh, when, when he got bigger, stronger, and he was beating the shit out of those guys, you know, because mm -hmm. the home kids had to go to the same public school everybody else went to. Right. And but because you're from the home, they had uh, the teachers had all these ways of embarrassing you, you know. Wow. And which which they did, you know, all the home kids stand up and you had to stand up. And then they would deliver, cart, you know, little cartons of milk. You know, all the home kids got their government-issued milk or whatever, whatever it was. And they separated the kids. You know, if you were from the home, you, you were like, like you know, Dickens back in the Dickens wow. time, you know. And my brother, he had to endure that. And my brother got tough as nails right up till he died. You know, he was one of the toughest guys in Calgary. In fact, I had a, my whole band was tough. <laughs> you talk about a punk rock band. Everybody in my band were like killers. <laughs> and, but you, but not you. None. I tried the, I tried my hand at, you know, but I was kind of sad. I was, I had more fun laughing than I did, you know, because it, it was always funny. Even I learned how to start fights and then how to, cover up and then the minute it looked like you know someone took a swing at you and then fake it fall down like you passed out you know and and it was fun that was fun part you know because the guy you're messing with would be so drunk he couldn't remember anything anyway so it was just a growing up in the in the 50s that's all it was you know did, did you know, when did you, know, and I know music came first and all kinds of other things, but when did you, did you know as a little kid you were funny? Did you know you could get out of things being funny? Did you use no, it? No, no, no. Oh, no, no. I was the innocent. I was the, uh, let, let, uh, what was it, Adam, let Frankie drew it or let Herbert. Yeah, anyway, I was, like I said, my brother was three years older. And so I was the guinea pig 
<laughs> so oh, many let PD have it or so, or I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I got scars all over my body from my from my brother. You know, well, we we sword fighting, and he'd stab me for real. Oh, <laughs> he stabbed me because he was that good, <laughs> and I had a, a, a I got a big scar on my finger here, and uh, and my brother said the famous last words: "You stick your finger there, I'll chop it off." I put my finger there and he came down, but he, he didn't come down this way. He came down lengthways and he sliced just one side of the thing. And and this Ukrainian uh, old old lady, you know, that we were staying, whose house we were staying, my, my mother's sister's husband's family and the U, U, Iwasics. Well, they, they did the Indian split on it. You know, they took it and wrapped it up. We're in the country. So they, Fixed it, no stitches or anything. Oh, I, yeah. I remember you telling me your dad was very quiet and didn't really talk. No, uh, he never hardly hardly talked to me. It was almost like a, a Chinese tradition, mm. you know, because he was a product of, I think, of his dad's couple of wives. I, I I'm quite sure that my dad. And his siblings and his mom was like wife number two or three, you know. Because uh-huh. my 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 grandfather Sam, he he lived in China, and my dad, you know, and and that family lived in Vancouver. So I, I'm guessing that was a Vancouver family. There was a Chinese family, and so on. You know, it's it's just a the Chinese. Uh, Away, and then my dad, he was a truck driver, yeah. and uh, he wasn't into the Chinese culture at all. He could speak Chinese, but he he wanted to be uh, Canadian. You know, he he was born in Canada, and he, he was raised Canadian, mm-hmm. and that's the way it was. He, he he spoke Chinese to his friends and relatives and that, but never he taught us how to count. I was just going to say, do you speak Chinese? Huh. You don't speak Chinese. No, I, I can understand a few things, and uh, you know. And anyway, the dialogue that uh, he he would have taught me uh, is no, no longer used. Cantonese. Uh-huh. Use Cantonese, but uh, you know, I, I learned. I I ended up with a friend. Well, she's she's yeah, girlfriend, older Chinese uh, uh, secretary that worked for a lawyer, Jeannie. And she she became my my Chinese cultural teacher. Like she taught me how to cook, and she taught me how to uh, order, and she taught me how to uh, yeah, just be Chinese. Yeah. How to be Chinese? I yeah. met you at a Chinese restaurant, actually. <laughs> you did. I did. So okay. So Tommy, at what point does do you realize you're creative? How does that happen? You're, you're, you're raised in a place, you don't have running water, you're, you're having a pretty tough, tough life over there. Um, well, the, the, only thing, the only thing we had for entertainment was a radio. And I would sit by the radio and because it was a radio, I didn't have to stare at it. I could sit and carve uh, toys, you know. Ah. I'd sit by, by the wood, the, we had a box of wood, kindling wood. Mm-hmm. And then I'd borrow a knife from my, uh, uh, my from the kitchen, and then I'd sit there and carve. Uh, usually knives or swords or something, you know, something like that that we could play with. 
because there was no toy stores. And so you made up your own games. That's how I got into acting, by the way, because uh, we had friends that had sisters and, and the guys, they're older than me. So the guys would run off and do their whatever they did, you know, and I would end up with the girls, playing with the girls. And it was playing house, you know, like I'd be the dad or the kid or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and we would play for hours. I'm talking all day, maybe go in for lunch and then come back and keep that game going. And then maybe the next day, keep it, pick it up again. And wow. it, was all, it was like all improv acting. I was just going to say you had your improv training right there. Right there. Right there. Wow. Early as early as can be. And yeah, of course, uh, you know, sometimes if the older boys involved, you know, sometimes it got a little freaky deaky, you know, <laughs> and, and which was also great for me because that's how I got my sex education. You know? <laughs> and, and, and because there again, you know, we're just unsupervised, you know, and, and that's what we were back in, in my day, you know unsupervised my day too the kids yeah. went out and played that's what we yeah. did right be home before dark that's right right be home before dark don't make me worry about you yeah that that was it that's what it was and, and then then and then as we got older i remember <laughs> because i i was good with uh with adults now i don't know why well yeah it was my training with the with the home and the hospital and so, you know, I, I, I knew how to deal with adults, you know, and how to listen, how to listen. And so every once in a while, you know, growing up, I had a buddy, you know, we were, you know, we were like kind of football players, still in good shape, kind of good looking, but too young, you know, really good looking. But the older girls would they make good dates, but that's about it. <laughs> Not much conversation there. <laughs> and so I remember uh, being asked up by the girls, will you take us to take take us to the prom? You know, and that was a big deal. So we take them to the prom. And then there's one girl, and then I met the, the father, you know, and I met him, shook his hand. We had a little conversation, you know. And so the girl, he, I, I impressed the father so much that when the girls started dating guys and that, she would always lie to her father and say she was up with me. She was me. with you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And every once in a while, she'd phone me up and say, okay, if he phones, you know, uh, you know, you're, you got to cover for me. I bet one day that became a big joke. Hey, Dad, look who, look who I was using to cover. Yeah, oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> probably, probably. Oh, yeah. I, you know, when you grow up poor, you, you have, you know, it's not like you're you're young and then all of a sudden you're in school and then you're in another school and then you're married. You know, when you're poor, it's like you go through stages of of uh, well. In this life, we we had a car. No, we never had a car. We had to take a streetcar and the bus everywhere. Okay, that was our transportation. And then we got to the point we got a bicycle. Okay, a bicycle feeds you a little bit more. You know. Uh huh. You know, and, and and that's your levels of your life, and then. Then when you're a kid, you know, uh, like I, I, I always had work. I always had a job because I always had a friend 
that was quitting a job. <laughs> so what kind of what kind of jobs did you have when you were a kid? I started off uh, probably uh, a paper route first. Uh-huh. And what happened, this kid, it was Calgary and it was cold shit out there. And the kid would beg me, to, you know, help me collect money because you had to knock on the door and wait outside while they go get 50 cents and 75 cents for the paper. Right. You know, but no one ever said, come on in and get warm. It was always like, open the door and slam it in your face and go get the money and come back, give you the thing, you know? Right. And, and so I had to do that with the kid. And and, the, and I couldn't, you know, I grew up, it's a country thing. When someone asks you for help, you just give them help. That's it. Unless you're totally unable, unable, but that that's the way it is. And you don't ask for money and and when you talk to adults you you give them the respect you see i i don't know where i got it from you were well, well raised army cadets army cadets that's where i got it really yeah because you you got to learn you got to salute the right officer and you, you got to respect you know certain people and you don't talk out of line you got to wait until it's your turn you know they teach you uh how to how to listen to other people, you know, how to take orders. How old were you when you did that? 13. I got in there when I was 13. Because if you got an army kid, my, my brother went first. He, and not only army, he was an army cadet, but he got to go to camp. And camp, you got paid $100. Wow. And 20 of it, well, the week that you were there, or the, the month that you were there, you got $5 a week. And then at the end, you got to take home an $80 check. Well, that money would be our, our, our winter clothes, you know? And we were with a lot of natives and, and then I found out I'm from part native. And so when I got to army cadets, wow, it was like incredible. But but it taught you how. You know, I mean, when you, know, you say part native, you mean native Canadian, I assume, not. No. Native American? I mean, uh, indigenous native. Indigenous native. Indigenous. My mother, I found out that my grandmother was half, half. We always thought, we were always told that she was Irish, like a black Irish. But yeah, she was Irish. Her dad was a Dillon, but her mother was definitely native. Wow. And so my grandmother was half because of the DNA showed that my mother was 20% uh-huh. and I'm 8%. So I'm 8% native. And I got treated like a native basically all my life, like, like in cadets, for instance, you know, even though I had a Chinese name, mm-hmm. like, you know, I was in the same bunch. The, the guy I learned to play guitar with, full blood Sarsi native. And he was an Elvis Presley uh, impersonator. And I played a backup guitar. And that, okay, was, my that was my next question. That was my very next question. How did you pick up a guitar? When did, when did that happen and how did that happen? My, when my mother was pregnant with me, she bought this cheap little Sears guitar. And I think dad went, my dad was uh, either going into the war or, or he was, he was uh, pretty well in, 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 in the army by then. And so my mom would strum the guitar, hold it against her stomach, strum the guitar. And she learned a few chords, but that guitar, it's right here. <laughs> really? 
Yeah, and, and she, uh, and so we always had a guitar in the house. And then we had a neighbor who was a fiddle player. And then my first instrument that I really liked was an accordion. I, I, I found out that I could play an accordion and my cousin, see, I never owned any of these instruments. My, my cousin, 16 uh, year old cousin, I was like eight and he was 16, 17. Right. And his bedroom was like magic for us kids, you know. And, and, but in there he had a little 12 bass accordion. And so I, I pick it up, pick up tunes by ear. You know, I was going to say, how did you teach you? That's that's a keyboard and a yeah. I just wow. figured it out. Figured it out. I was terrible at lessons. I never went to school, and then when I started school, I started school a year late, and then I was a year always behind. Blah blah blah. You know, and so school in the country like very tough, very tough. Uh, but so I never got into that. Take the lesson thing. And that's when I think Shelby is excellent at. From her childhood, she took lessons, took dancing lessons. But you're taking tango lessons, aren't you? Oh, right now, yeah. Yeah. It started again, yeah. Yeah, no, it's all because of Shelby, too. But, you know, when you're poor, when, I, like, when, when the, the fiddle player found out I could play guitar, you know, and then he... Then he started showing me a few things. And then next thing I know, I'm playing backup guitar for the fiddle player. And how old were you when all that was going on? I was eight, nine, something like that. Oh, little kid. Yeah, I was a little guy. Yeah. And they would say, hey, give the kid a beer. <laughs> I'd take the beer, put it under my chair. And I'm sitting there, I had my chair and I'm playing away. Yeah. And it was like a party. So it wasn't, uh, you know, one set. you smoking pot when you were a little kid? Oh no, no, they had no pot. There was no pot then. There was no pot. It was it wasn't even called reefer back then. Um that's ah. and if it was, it was like, whoa, you know, that's you're gonna die of heroin use or something, you know. No, no, no pot then. It was alcohol. And then when I got old enough, I started drinking. Uh, I was a terrible drunk. Not that's good. So I never right. liked the taste. Never did like the taste. And then I got into bodybuilding, and then the bodybuilding had me stop everything, smoking cigarettes, and drinking alcohol, and, and, and but smoking pot. Well, when did you find pot? How, do you remember the first time you smoked pot? I remember so well. I was, I guess, 17 years old. I'd just gone back to school, trying to get, I got, I finished grade 10. And then... Uh, I was trying to get grade 11, not doing too good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I was playing guitar in a, in my band, you know, my rock and roll band, but they had a jazz club downtown called Fat Flat Five. And so, um, so I could get in if I carried my guitar case because I was like a musician. So I, I carried my guitar case and I'd go down and they'd have jazz all night. And then you got singers and players and so on. And the owner was a Chinese guy named uh, Ray Ma. Well, one day I came in there with my guitar and Ray kind of greeted me. He said, I got a present for you. He just got back from LA. He says, this is for you. He handed me a Lenny Bruce comedy album. 
and a marijuana joint. And so and I took old, the joint. How old were you? 17. I took the joint, put it in my pocket, and the album, I put it under my arm. And so Ray took another joint out of his pocket and lit it up, lit it up handed it to me, I took my first toke. And I can tell you the music that was being played. It was Ornette Coleman, and it was a song called Lonely Woman. And uh, I never heard music like that. I haven't heard it since, like that. I heard, I not only heard the, the tune, but I saw the woman. I saw her sitting in the balcony, kind of waiting for her, for her guy. And wow. maybe he's not coming. Or maybe he, he, he left and he'll never come again. You know, it was a lone, oh my God. That wow. had so much effect on me. And wow. so I took, took the joint. Now, don't forget, I smoked his. Right. His. You kept yours. I got home. I got this joint. And so I would light up, take a toke and put it out. Then I'd play the Lenny Bruce record and laugh myself silly. And then my I had a friend, Alan Whitney. Uh, he came over and I turned him on, not to the pot. I wouldn't I turned him on to Lenny Bruce and uh, and that part lasted me and it was like a secret no one knew no one knew I had it nobody and then we eventually got kicked out of Calgary and that now we're in Vancouver wait why'd you get kicked out of Calgary for being successful wait what yeah yeah you see, when I was after when I was in Army Cadets, I ended up getting involved with the Zoot Suiters, the badasses, because in Vernon, where I went to camp, there was a couple, but there's one guy named uh, Lee Worthy, and Lee Worthy had this blonde hair, and he had a, a what do you call those cuts? Pompadour. No, no, uh, short on top, long on the sides. Oh, oh, yeah, uh, uh, a mullet. Yeah, yeah, he had like a mullet. First mm -hmm. one I ever saw in a big becktail. Mm -hmm. Then he had a high waist draped pants, and and the drapes were about forty inches at the knee, and they come in twelve inches at the cuff. <laughs> and they were yellow, bright canary yellow pants. Wow. And a shirt, and he looked like some kind of movie actor <laughs> you know he had and and he was challenging the cadets to a fight anybody i'll take you on one at a time all of you at once whatever you want come on and i looked at this guy and i thought wow <laughs> you know no that's a statement you know and and so then i started i got to know the calgary every everybody in in canada had their little gang members huh. because of that era you know it was the, the zoot suit riots in, in california and the zoot suit riots you know that was right after the war what happens uh, the war guys came home and the mexicans with long hair you know uh, the guys from the military started fighting with the with the long-haired mexicans and it was it was pretty brutal you know, zoot suits riot so anyway I'm, my love for the Mexican culture on the zoot suits 
that's when it started, was in the army cadets in, in Burnham, BC. And then cut forward, now I'm on, in a movie with a Pachuco, a would-be, would-be funny-ass Pachuco. Only he's he's faking it like like everybody's faking it, you know. <laughs> it was it was so crazy how how that happened. No, what happened in Calgary was interesting because I started hanging with a bad crowd, and one of the the the, the things that they did, the bad crowd did, was steal cars, mm -hmm. joyride, mm -hmm. and so uh, this friend of mine he found a car and I was in Chinatown and I, and I was sitting with some other guys and, and hey, come on, take you for a little joy ride. And of course the guy was crazy and he was driving outside of Calgary and came to a road that was, you know, had a curve to it, but he took it, took it too, too fast, slid off the road, turned upside down in, water oh. in water in a saloon saved our ass uh the car was upside down we, we finally got out of the car one kid had a cut fountain and, and then we went there's a farmhouse or an old uh ranch what do you call it? like a, a bunkhouse and we got into there we got a blanket try to cover ourselves up with freezing cold the car stops he says uh, you guys uh, okay you know we saw the the lights of the lights of the car was underwater and you could see and it looked pretty serious anyway the guy i didn't live too far away from there so i got a ride home the, the next day at work uh, you know the cops come and talk to me I wanted to know the story. And so I told him the story. So my buddy who stole the car, he ended up going to jail for two years. Mm. So I, and so then I got in trouble. Another friend of mine sold a car and it stalled. And so I knew it never ran. And I was trying to help him start it up again. And then we ran home and the cops followed our footprints. <laughs> <laughs> and so I spent the night in jail and then we went to court. And now, then I realized, you know, I started, when I was special in, in, in jail, you know, it was exciting. And then I started thinking, you know, well, you know, what's, what's wrong with this picture? And I realized what, what happened is that kids had nothing else to do, really, you know. And so if they had a dance to go to, that would be something to do. And so then... I started a teen club called the Shades Teen Club, and uh, and it got very popular. It got so popular that we were packing them in Saturday nights. How'd you get the money to start the Shades Club? Need any? Wow! Because uh, I knew the guy that had the Boys Club, and so the Boys Club said called the Legion and said, uh, you know, these guys want to start a a teen club and it would be nice if you let them use your facilities, you know, the big, big dance hall that was empty right in the middle of Calgary. We packed that sucker. Whoa. And then we had all the badasses from all of Calgary. They were showing up 
you know, and then all the bad assets from Edmonton, they would come, and then the bad assets from Lethbridge, and, and so Saturday nights were like, crazy it was like mighty what was the entertainment at the teen club what what did you do our band my band you were playing the shades the shades okay and you're playing guitar in this i'm guitar my brother's bass my uh tommy milton's a singer dick bird by the indian the uh uh, singer uh bernie sneed is on piano uh eric murray white guy only white guy in the band's on drums Pete Watts, uh, mulatto, he's part black, he's on saxophone, and uh, we just kicked, we had a radio show, <laughs> we, we were, the radio show started broadcasting us, and it blew everybody's mind, you know, because music, mu- musician-wise, we went from nothing to everything to a radio show, wow. but we got so popular that we attracted so many people. What and kind they, of music were you guys doing, Tommy? Rock and roll, girl. Rock and roll. Absolutely. Elvis, Little Richard, Chuck Berry. I mean, we were the Stones in, in the Beatles, way before the Stones in the Beatles. Wow. We were in 1956, 57. We got wow. kicked out of Calgary in 1957. Yeah. Because 50. then you took another turn because you... You wrote an unbelievable song, Does Your Mama Know You Know Me, that was soul, R&B, right? It was a whole, yeah. it was Motown, right? It was a whole different... Yeah, it was Diana Ross uh, that really discovered, she discovered the band, us, and then when we did Does Your Mama Know About Me, she grabbed it right away and put it on her album. Wow. And and that's a song that, that Cheech was listening to when he was recuperating from a ski accident. And he would, for some reason, he would just play that Does Your Mama Know About Me over and over again because it was like the most on Diana Ross song ever written, you know? And it's about a black girl saying, Does Your Mama Know About Me? You know, it was incredible. And so when Cheech met me, he went, oh, you're the guy that wrote the song. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was very serendipity, everything. I was going to say, do you think that everything happens for a reason? I mean, I, I do. Do you, do you think you guys were intended to find each other? I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, without doubt. Without doubt. No, we got well, But before you meet him, you have some tremendous success. Barry, Barry Gordy is your, he signs my you, mind. right? Yeah. Yeah, Barry's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> and and from what I remember, the Jackson Five opened for you. Yes. Yeah. 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 Before they were Michael Jackson and the Jacks, they were Jackson Five plus Johnny. That was the name of the poster. Plus Johnny? Who's yeah, he was a little cousin. <laughs> That's wow. on the poster. If you, if you can find the poster, it's called the Jackson Five plus Johnny wow. at the Regal Theater with Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's and Jerry Butler. It was incredible. Yeah, every time I see Michael now, I, I just I flash and I, I, I'm I'm like a a Prince uh, and Michael Jackson. They're on TikTok a lot, and I oh I love I love their shows. I love Michael's dancing. But when he was a little guy, he was the most grown little midget I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he was a man. He was a little man. And he could dance every bit as as good as as he ended up dancing. Wow. He could do it when he was a little guy. 
Wow. The moves, everything. Oh, he was so good. What a freak. So how did you go from having this big musical success? What what, what brought you to comedy? How, how did that happen? Well, what happens, unless you're the star, you know, unless you're John Lennon or unless you're Paul McCartney, you know, it's no fun being anybody else, you know. <laughs> it's no fun being Ringo? Come on. Well, yeah, but... The Beatles are a bad example because they were all stars. Oh, it, it, it's not that. It's, it's, it's very tough, you know. Things happen the way you got to be very careful what you ask for, mm. and you got to know what to ask for. Mm. See, my 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 thing, the reason I I am, and I got what I got, and the reason I got into comedy was that it was the easiest thing that I could do at the time. How so? Well, I had seen, you know, enough you know, playing music in, in black clubs, R&B clubs, I saw every kind of stand-up uh, comedian you could see. I'm talking about, and you know, Red Fox. I, I saw, I studied under Red Fox. Wow. I watched Red Fox do two hours. Oh my God. Two hours. Wow. The first hour he brought them up so high and then he brought them down so low that they were running out of the club. What? That's the first hour. And then, he opened the door for them. A lot of the people left. Then closed the door, and he went up and did another hour and brought him right back up. I've wow. never seen anything like it. And then I saw him just recently live, and it was kind of the show he did when I saw him. But everything he did, his shows were so inventive and new and different and, wow. and so incredible, incredible. And then when he did his TV show, this guy never had a moment when he wasn't funny. Yeah. And by the way, you know, you know, Aunt Esther on uh, uh -huh. on Aunt okay. Esther. Uh -huh. Okay, I knew her when she was a stripper in Vancouver, and she had a, a boa constructor as part of her act. The snake died, and she she. Used that snake. I don't know how long. <laughs> oh my God! That's, that's, Aunt, that's Aunt Esther. That's Aunt Esther. Oh and she had a thing. She had a thing for the owner, Leo. Leo Bagley was his name, and he was from Pakistan. He was from. Uh, I'm sorry, you cannot do that, but I'll tell you what I can do. He was from some Stan, you know, Hindustan or somewhere. Wow. And Wanda, Wanda Labadi, Wanda. Wanda Page, Wanda LaPage, that was her name. And, wow. uh, and I knew her then, <laughs> I knew her then, oh God. And I, I was, I've been dying ever since, you know, but she she, she died and, and Red's gone too. But, oh man, I, see, I go, that's how far back I go. And then not only go back, but as a musician, see, when you hear jokes, I mean, we're trained to, to, to learn notes. We're, we're trained to hear, hear, hear things, you know, tones. And so when you hear words that are funny, oh my God, it was just natural. And then I became, uh, then I got turned on to, well, first of all, it's all ordained, you know? And so I, for some reason I ended up 
going to the committee, you know, uh, in San Francisco. And then I, then I went to the second city and I saw the best of the best in second city, in the committee. I saw Peter Boyle when he was at second city. So, so you can imagine. And I had no idea that Peter was such a great singer. Did you know that he was a singer? I did Peter not know Boyle? that at all. Yeah. He sang on, on Raymond's uh, show. Everybody loves Raymond. And, he, and he, played like a, he played like a, uh, uh, like a Frank Sinatra. He could see, he could croon like Frank wow. Sinatra. No, I, I uh, my life is is so. It just shows you prayer works, you know. It's all. Did you did you do you think you manifest? Did you manifest your dreams? Did you have what did you want when you were a little kid, Tommy? Did you see this for yourself? What did you see for yourself? My mother told me. My mother told me. You know, I'm getting ready to go to school. And she just told me, she says, you're different. People are going to be looking at you. Wow. So it's up to you how you present yourself. Wow. Isn't that cool? Wow. That's really cool. That's so cool. you had, and I assume you had that belief. You carried that and believed it. Well, I got, like I got turned on right away you know because of when, when you're poor the only reason to get dressed up is to go to church mm -hmm. you know or synagogue you know but i mean uh, that that's the only time right and my mother was a stickler she wanted us to go to sunday school you know you kids got to go to sunday school my mother was kind of raised with a with an english family because her mother committed suicide when she was like uh, in grade three Wow. And so my mother was taken and put into domestic work. And so she was like a domestic all her life. But so she was raised in an English family. And so she had all these, these traditional things, you know, like going to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And so I not, not only went to Sunday school, but I ended up teaching it. <laughs> well, because there were so few people in the, in the Sunday school. And then that, the, that they never really bothered having a teacher. So you're older, Tom. Why don't you just <laughs> take over? <laughs> and uh, which was cool. Uh, but, but we had a Sunday school teacher uh, a couple of times. And, and uh, you know, and, and if you uh, went uh, consecutively, you, you, they give you a free Bible kind of thing. But it was there. And, and, and then when, you're, when you go to churches like that especially for kids Sunday school everything is very uh, simple you know God is everywhere you know and I remember walking out of the the Sunday school and it was that night and, and uh, I said God is everywhere well then where is he and I started looking you know where is God you know is he hiding somewhere and then for some reason I looked up in the sky and it was the Milky Way. See, in Canada, when the sky gets clear at wintertime, it's like the stars are hanging right over top of you. Wow. So beautiful. And I just looked up and I realized, wow. You know, I realized later, not then. I didn't. I, I was, uh, you know, it's almost like I said, I, I said God, not stars you know <laughs> but that that that's what i when i think back you know that's how connected i've always been 
with with uh, with with my muse, you see, and so that's why like they, it's a lot of people blame it on being Gemini, but but when we change, it's not so much Gemini. It's it's a fact that you you don't get the message until you're ready to 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 do something with it, you know, and then you get the message, you know, and uh, so and how did that? How did that happen with comedy? How did you get that message then? And what what was the thing that took you in? What took you in? I guess it was, I was so meant to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. Because I remember being funny when I shouldn't have been funny. <laughs> And I just couldn't help it. I, I, you know, sometimes they call having a big mouth. But I remember when in high school, uh, there was another kid that was trying to get through high school. Like he was way older than he should have been. And he's struggling to, to get it. He was a goalie in a, in a, in a hockey team, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and he was always moved, I don't know, just like kissing his girlfriend in public. Uh, all the time, you know, he was one of those guys that you, you had to notice him. Well, I had no reason to fear the guy, mm-hmm. you know. He, he, there was no sign that he was a bully, a fight, or anything like that. And so, at, in in class, we were both in the, in the same class, and uh, the teacher was writing. The teacher had his back to us or something, and. Uh, and anyway, some something came up about his girlfriend, and I, I big mouth, I, I said something smartass about it, you know. And then I thought nothing of it, you know. And then next thing you know, I was up on the board. I was going to write something on the board. He attacked me from behind, sucker punched me, oh. you know. But see, I get beat up like all the time by my brother, so. My my reaction wasn't to cower because he wasn't a brawler. Like I said, he wasn't a fighter, but he was a goalie for a hockey team. And those, you know, by nature, usually they're not fighters, but they will fight. You know, it's, it's one of those things. And what he did, he he went the way he sucker punched me. You know, it was really a coward's way to do it. And yeah. so after I got sucker punched, I turned around and started wailing on him. And... Uh, and 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 then the principal came in and he went away, went right for the for the goalie, you know, the guy threw him out, and, and I, I guess the teacher told him what happened and everything. But coming home on the bus now, here comes his his friend, comes over to me, he goes, "You wanna wanna get a dog out here? Wanna wanna fight? Yeah, it's, these guys are hockey players." They fight each other to see right. who's the toughest is, you know. And I'm, I'm not, I said, no, <laughs> you know, I will protect myself, but, you know, to fight for fun. <laughs> I, got a, I got a brother that's three years older than me. I don't need to, I can't afford to have my own beatings at home. Thank you. <laughs> so, all right. So, so how did this then get you to, how did you go from music to comedy? How did you make that segue? To, to from into- music to comedy. How did you 
I, well, we, we we did it like with the theater. I I, I give I give my early training with the playing house with the with the with right. my, the, the girls. Oh. I, I, you know, it got me it got me into playing make believe. And then, as luck would have it, you know, I when I the minute I teamed up with Cheech, you know, it was like this this is obvious, you know. How did you how did you meet? How and you how did you and Cheech meet? Well, I turned a strip club into a improvisational uh, <laughs> nightclub, and uh, and the straight guy that we had quit. He was an actor, and like all actors, you know, they'll do whatever gig you give them. And unfortunately, his wife wasn't that <laughs> wasn't that uh, uh, what do you call fair-minded when she saw, saw a picture of him with uh, strippers on either side of him with their titties in his ear. You know, somehow she didn't, she didn't like, it wasn't a good look. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I, uh, I uh, right away, we needed a straight man. And this uh, guy that owned a hippie magazine, uh, Cheech was working for him. And, and so he came up to me, he said, I know a guy, he'd be perfect for the show. And he works for me, his name is Richard Marin. You know, so then I went out and met Richard and, uh, nice and, and okay come on down check it out and see if you like it you know and he came down he had the most gorgeous women with him and i didn't know that he was there she was there to break up with him <laughs> to finish it but uh, but i've always chosen i always judge a man by his woman you know <laughs> and when i saw her i said okay he's hired no, no problem there you know and he didn't have to audition or anything. I just saw that. I said, okay, this guy's got Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And were you already with Shelby then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've been with Shelby. She was one that helped design the, the club. Yeah. She was a waitress, making more money than anybody. Okay, so tell, tell us how you met Shelby. Oh, well, Shelby was... Uh, I met her at a Battle of the Bands. We had, well, first of all, I, I saw her first out in, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, White Rock in BC. And she was, uh, we had a, a concert in the daytime uh, at, at, near the beach. And she was with, she had her little brother with her. But she came to the, to the show and, and she heard, you know, I think we sang one song. <laughs> She, when she walked, I saw her outside, and, and I fell on. I said, "Whoa!" I, I was with a, a bouncer, weightlifter friend of mine. He's the guy that got me into bodybuilding, and, and we both saw her. And I said, "I want her paw." And so, so she came into the club, and uh, and she walks up, and she wanted to talk to Tommy, the singer. And I kind of moved in front of Tommy. Can I help you? <laughs> and she said, uh, do you know walking the dog? And I said, yeah. Then she's one of them player. Little snotty. <laughs> I said, okay. And I went back and we started playing it. Next time I look around, she's gone. She, I, she didn't even stay to hear the tune. Wow. And then uh, we played the team fair. And then she shows up again with her sister. And this time she came to see the band and basically I 
moved right in right away. And, and, and so she said, can you guys give us a ride to this nightclub? We said, sure. I said, but we're going down to our nightclub. Why don't you come to our club? And she said, oh, really? Where is it? We, I told her, and she goes, never heard of it. And so it was like, so we dropped her off at, at the Harlem Nocturne. And then uh, we went to our club. Now the Harlem Nocturne, it was so packed. It was jammed and people are having dancing and loud music and that. We go to our club now, no one in there. Just <laughs> us. And we got a band, and but we sounded pretty good. You know? So we set up and we're getting ready to play. And the next thing you know, hear a commotion at the door. And I look up there and there's Shelby and her sister. And my brother, he's not going to let her in because she's too young, you know. So I, I, I give my brother the signs, it's okay, let her in. And uh, and behind her was like the whole cl club, <laughs> the other ah, club. She brought the other club over? She took, well, they wouldn't let her in that club. And I don't think she had shoes on. And, and, and so her, her sister said, well, I know a club we can get into. And so she pie pipered the whole crowd to our club. And our club never was empty from that day on. Wow. It was packed from that. They no, no one knew about it. And wow. then when they found out about it, and then and then, <laughs> then I find out later that that I moved next door to her. I I didn't know that. And then I then she her and her sister came to meet me and my my uh, my not my wife, but my daughter, Robbie. I'm carrying Robbie and, and Shelby. And oh, they fell in love with Robbie. So they grab Robbie and boom, they take her to her house, uh, you know, neighbors. And so the, my daughters, Radon and Robbie, both grew up with uh, Shelby and uh, them as wow. neighbors. Yeah. And then, uh, and she, she had no intentions of being with me. You know, because I was married and, and uh, I was just a friend. And I was a good friend to her because uh, she, uh, you know, she was so beautiful that any guy who would go out with her would start falling in love with her, you know, right away. You know, and, and she wanted her freedom, you know, especially she wanted her freedom to be able to come and see her, her uh, smitten guitar player. <laughs> she liked that you were smitten. Oh yeah, yeah. She 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 told me. She said that she liked the way I lit up as soon as she'd walk in the door. You know, I'd see her, and that you know, I just get all, you know, well, it was all love. It was all love, and and we stayed together because we were never going to be together. Isn't that wow. amazing? And we're still together. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. It is fifty it is. plus years. It's just. Yeah. And I and you're still obviously so smitten with her still. Oh. Adorable. And and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, how healthy is it, you know? Because you got to be careful when you get older. You have a lot of license when you're younger to say and do things. But when you get older, you got to be, got to be more, you got to be careful. How so? Know? What at one time was really funny can be very, very insulting, very crude. Mm. 
at one time you would expect something you know like that but when you get older it's like nah let's not go there you know and and, and so just 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 for decorum's sake sake you know just to recognize each other as as uh, beings you know live um, beings with with a lot of feeling you know and 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 i it's a peace that's what i loved about when jesus you know was leaving he said to his disciples he says, my peace i give unto you mm-hmm. and to me that's what i want to give on to to everybody you know the peace that i have and and i got it you know quite early in my life uh and 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 now that i'm we're coming into the, the the third act you know the final act and it's uh it can be very exciting. You know, Have you Shelby had a um, a peaceful relationship? Would you say that? Do you do you get a do you have fights? Do you is it does it is it passionate? Is it chill? Is it no? We, we 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 definitely have. It's growing pains. It's growing pains. It's 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 a sad state of affairs, but it, it, it's just growing pains, and, and I recognize it. You know, we went on vacation, and and, and I, I just there's a lot of things I can't see that well, and I can't hear that well. I got I got hearing aids, in. and uh, and when you when you have that affliction, you know, there's such a burden that's put on the other person, you know. And and uh, and it's almost like an unfair burden, you know, because uh, the trick is to to stay within your in your realm, you know, and uh, and oh yeah, we've had our we've had our growing pains. It's just growing pains mm-hmm. because she was doing so well with the uh, with the live show, you know, and and actually uh, overpowering us in, in a lot of ways uh, with energy, if nothing else, you know? And so it, there, there's a time now that it's sort of like regroup, you know, let's regroup. And, and let's take a step back and let, let, let's see what, 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 what's, what really, what, we, what you really need uh, to to worry about, and actually, that's that's the thing. When you get older, you got to eliminate worry. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. Mm-hmm. And and uh, let me give you a, a, how how to do it. We Please. <laughs> we have total control of our thoughts. Ooh. I believe we have total control over our words. I'm not sure I believe about the thoughts. You have, you have to gain control of your thoughts. If you don't, then you can be led down the wrong path many times. 
because the minute you start relying on something else, you know, because it's easier or because it sort of stokes sort of whatever kind of thing that you got going, you don't want that. You want that, you want the clear water. You don't want the muddied water. Mm-hmm. You want that clear mm-hmm. and you want the truth, you see. See, and the older, older you get, the, the, the more real things become because everything becomes very important to you. There's no throwaways anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and just, and that's, that's with everything. That's with, with people's feelings. That's why old people, you know, for the most part, they don't have a lot to say. Why? Because it's not their time, you know? Because a lot of times when you're talking, you're learning, you know? And a lot of times what you want to do, especially when you're older, is you want to you be comfortable. Be comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And the way to do it is to help somebody help somebody else because what, yeah because what happens that really is what we're here to do designed to do mm-hmm. to help others mm-hmm. and and if you look around you don't have to look far <laughs> you know you don't have to look far and one thing this, this is what i learned It's not so much it's not so much admiration as it is attention. Mm. Attention. Because if if that that that's what I always I find with 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 Shelby. She uh she has that ability to put her attention on what she's doing. See, I'm I'm the daydreamer, you know. I, I will. Uh, I don't know where the fuck I. <laughs> I'm sort of like drifting off all all the time. She, on the other hand, she. Well, she, that's why she's such a rock for me, you know. She, I can just. <laughs> Just know that that uh, I got that, and it's really not mine. It's a loner. <laughs> it's a but, t- but Tommy, go back to how you can we control our thoughts. I'm very intrigued by this. Think about it. No, think about it. control your thoughts. If you control your thoughts, you can be as happy as you want or as sad as you want. Well, I think we can choose which thoughts we want to water. That's controlling your thoughts. Okay, okay, that that I agree with. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about, you know? Just like controlling our speech, you know? Mm -hmm. We can can take our time and think about it and then learn. Like I I study, when I study newscasters and that, you know, I I study them. I I watch them do their craft, you know? amazed at it you know because i start seeing detail 
you know? And, and why, why is this person so good? What, what, what's going on? What, what makes it? And, and I've come to the conclusion, you know, that, that you know, especially the news cycles and that, they, they, they know instinctively or whatever that a pretty girl is so essential <laughs> for, for viewer, viewership. <laughs> So essential, so essential that, that yeah, the worst thing can happen is, yeah. you know, that, that, but you need pretty girls. You need, and then, but also need writers too. For, for people, to, the writer's strength is going to be interesting. I, I'm sort of like, I'm just curious as to see, uh, which which way it's going to go, you know? Because writers have historically have been the low end of the town. Yeah, <laughs> but it's okay because we don't have any excuse, any expenses. We just our brains and whatever we write on. Isn't they had a great cartoon though, where the, you know the star is going, oh, you know, I made you know ten million dollars, and the producer is going, yeah, I made you know, $50 million and the writer's going, you guys made money? <laughs> you guys got paid? <laughs> no, I, no I, got, I, I went through it with Up in Smoke. I wrote Up in Smoke. Okay, we but, have to talk about that, Tommy, because we don't. Everybody connected with the movie, as far as I can remember, they said, no, we never had a script. <laughs> We just shot it. We never had a script. That's Lou and that's uh, Cheech talking. You know, no, we had a script. I wrote it. So when you wrote the script, did you write the whole, the ninety pages, the, the no. dialogue? The... No. Okay. No, I wrote it uh, a couple of pages at a time. Mm -hmm. We started off with the beginning, and then we went through right up to the ending, almost to the ending, and then Lou decided that he knew what he was doing and he didn't need me anymore the movie's over now we just got to put an ending on it so he came up with probably the most corniest the worst fucking ending ever in movie history and he put it on like an amateur would do put it on uh you know and and showed it not only showed it to us but he showed it to the paramount people and it was horrible it was a, the, the up in smoke also became it was all a dream right and, and then all of a sudden you know stacy appears in the back uh as a uniform cop and it did not make any sense whatsoever had nothing to do with what we shot it was like ugh, yuck and i told everybody listening <laughs> And well, it broke up Lou Adler and us, you know, we, we no longer went with Lou. And uh, we, and Cheech and I broke up because Cheech had to get his own, he, he, he didn't want to go with the guy that I picked, you know. And so everything fell apart right at the, because of the ending. And then I said, then I, then, so then uh, the production people said, okay, so what do you want? How do you want the movie to end? And I said, well, I'm going to write it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to direct it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. 
I wrote it and I directed it. And I got a little extra blurb in there and say, yeah, the ending was written by and directed by Tommy Chong, you know, so I, so I got that part in there. But uh, the good news is, is that uh, it freed us, you know, it freed us from Lou and it freed us from everybody. Bad news was we couldn't use the, the title Smoke. Uh, and so our next movie was called Cheech and Chong's Next Movie. Right. And the one, the one after that was called Nice Dreams. And the one after that was Things Are Top All Over. And then we did Still Smoking, mm -hmm. which was a uh, Paramount movie anyway. So we could use a smoking title because it was owned by Paramount. But yeah, we went, we, I went through that, you know, as a writer. You see, okay, so let's talk about the writing. So that first scene in Up in Smoke, how much of that was on the page? I mean, that is one of the funniest scenes that has ever been on film. How much of that was predetermined and how much of that happened in the moment? Well, we, we, we were going to introduce Cheech's character, mm -hmm. you know, waking up the way he did, you know, and uh, going to the thing. Uh, you know, yeah, that was, we just wanted to establish uh, Cheech's character as being uh, from the barrio. And then we wanted to establish the Jewish kid from uh, from the rich family, you know, with a weight set and uh, and uh, you get a job by sundown or I'm shipping up to military school. That that whole thing. I mean, that to me that made the movie. I wrote it. I wrote it. Louis, Cheech's cousin, mm -hmm. helped me design the character. My my character. In fact, I think we named him. Uh, Anthony Stoner was his name, and, and we only mentioned his name uh, one time in the movie. Uh, but uh, and, and from then on, he was always known as Man. Hey, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we wrote it. So how much that if that scene in the car was scripted, and how much happened in the moment? Oh, you mean uh, when, when Cheech is smoking the big yeah, joint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our from our live act. See, our live act, we would mind the, the size of the joint. And, you know, and I'd hand him, hey, man, here, here's a joint. And he'd go, oh, you know, well, look at this. You know, and then in the movies, we, we had a real uh, joint. Uh, so, no, that was from our act. And that was like both, both Cheech and I, we, we, we both wrote it, you know. I came up with the idea of, uh, of the car, you know, for the live act, you know, because I'd seen a, a comedy routine where the guy he mimes the car and, and and he does that. So so it was my experience with with all the comedy that I'd seen, and then we just stuck it in there. And then so many people in the movies, you know, we just found them at parties. We found them, you know, the casting agent found a, a few, you know, and then, and somewhere just serendipity, they just showed up in the movie. Never did another one since, you know. It was, but Up in Smoke was so ordained. And, and the, the part that I, that I wrote, that, that I will say I wrote, period, was uh, the band. Uh, being made out of, of uh, pot. Yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Smuggling. 
And, and the reason I, I got that from an old joke, there's this guy in, in, in Hungary, uh, Czechoslovakia, somewhere in the Iron Curtain. And when it was Iron Curtain time, he would come across the Iron Curtain and, and we'd have a wheelbarrow, you know, and sometimes be full of uh, dirt, and other times be full of straw, hay, whatever, different time. But the guy, would search him each time and he'd go through the dirt nothing there and go through the the straw nothing there no matter what it was you could never find it so finally the guy quit he's on his deathbed now and he's dying he's but tell me i know you were smuggling something but what were you smuggling and the guy goes wheelbarrows <laughs> perfect so, so i used that as a, a reason to have a band made out of pot. Now you're not smoking, you're, you're getting the whole car and you get it across, you know? And it, it, to, to some extent, it, it worked. I never thought it totally through like the, the movie people did, you know? Right. You give it to the art department, you know, and they go crazy with the band and the way the pot looked in that, you know, and all that. And Lou Lombardo and all the uh, uh, Robert Altman crew you know that was their movie that was their their excellence you know they could turn on uh you know they could put out a movie like that you know it was no problem and that's that's why it was such a hit you know it was i mean that 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 whole first scene sitting in the car and oh god i so okay so you would do that scene on stage yeah and and okay so you transferred it to the well yeah. yeah. Um, so now I have to ask you because I will not be forgiven if I don't, and I know the answer. I've heard you tell the story, but Dave's not here. How 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 did that come to be? Well, Dave's not here kind of set the tone for Cheech and Chong because what happened? We performed for uh, the Warner Brothers, Ted Templeman, at at the Roxy. It was a special performance for Ted mm -hmm. and unfortunately Ted didn't see any future with Cheech and Chong but Lou Adler who was also at the at, at the the show mm -hmm. he he liked us and he wanted to talk to us he wanted to meet us anyway mm -hmm. and so we went and we met Lou and, and, I, and uh, wait, let me stop you for one second so what what did the show look like that Lou saw what kind of stuff were you and Cheech doing in that show well, that the, the stoner you know the, mm -hmm. the driving getting high in the car and, and we had a bit called the dogs uh, where we act like uh, puppy dogs you know and we smell each other's butt it was, it was very very funny it would make you fall off a chair laughing <laughs> and uh but Lou, Lou, he just loved us. He loved us. And Frank Zappa was there that night, too. I remember seeing Frank Zappa. Frank wasn't that thrilled. But Cheech and Frank got to be friends later on. And then, uh, then Frank became a fan. But he wasn't a big fan in the beginning. Uh, but still, uh, Lou saw us. And so we went to see Lou. And, uh, and when I walked in, I realized, wow, you know, the record company can make a comedy record. And so Cheech didn't know it at the time. And so Lou said, well, how can I help you? I said, well, we'd like to make a record, comedy record. <laughs> and Cheech, everybody gave me that look. Oh, really? <laughs> and Lou said, what do you need? 
I said a thousand dollars and um, um, a little tape recorder. And so Lou was about to write a check, and then Cheech chimed in and said, uh, "Make that two thousand dollars, <laughs> thousand each, and uh, yeah, and a tape recorder." And so we got the the money. He wrote the check, and then he gave it. Then he had his secretary go get a little tape recorder, buy a tape recorder. Next day we come in, I get the tape recorder, and then we go into the back room. We're going to rehearse the bit. Mm -hmm. And so we're in the uh, You know what you're going to do to put on, you know what you're going to put on this record. No idea. No idea. Not, <laughs> not a clue. And so what we're going to do, we're going to do start off with a dope deal. Okay. And so Cheech is going to be outside the door and knocks. I open the door and let him in and we do a dope deal. So I was fiddling with the with the uh, tape recorder, you know, and I thought I had it working right. It was okay. So we start the bit. And so Cheech knocks on the door, you know, and, uh, and so I I didn't look at I wasn't looking at the tape recorder, I looked up at the door. Then I realized, oh, then I looked back at the tape recorder and the needle wasn't moving. And so I'm staring at it there. The Cheech knocks again. This time I could hear it's a little louder, you know? Yeah. And so I go, who is it? And, and I look at, I see the needle work, you know, it's working. And so Cheech, I, I was supposed to just let him in. So Cheech, it's me, man, come on. I got to stop, man. I think the cops are. And so I can hear him. He's, he wants to get in because it's right. hot and outside. Uh -huh. He wants to get in there. Nice, cool. Hey, I don't do anything. <laughs> and he knocks again. And I go, who is it? And that stupid stoner voice. And now Cheech is getting the idea. He goes, it's, it's, it's me, man. Come on. <laughs> Open up. And you gotta give Cheech credit, he did not break character. He's pissed off at me, but he says, come on, man, open the door, come so on. So he's mad at you, Tommy, because you're not letting him in, right? That's right, that's yeah. right. But the bit is just cooking. Finally, he knocks again, and I go, who is it? And he gets pissed off enough, he goes, it's Dave. <laughs> now, Dave was the name of my character, my first partner. In, in Vancouver, you mm -hmm. see, that's who Cheech replaced Dave. And so when he said, Dave, I got the shot, you know, I got, it's like, Dave, man, <laughs> I'll open the door. And he's like begging me to, and when I said, Dave, and they could hear his voice, yeah, 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 Dave, man. And then I said, Dave's not here. He blew it, I'm Dave, <laughs> open up. I finally opened the door. He was so mad. He wanted to kill me. He, he was he's throwing his the costume because he had costumes on. We're doing a record and he's got costumes on. And he's throwing his hats around and pissed off. And I said, well, listen, listen, listen. So I played it for him and we laughed so hard. So you know, he we, knew, he knew what, once he heard it, he oh, saw how funny it was. Oh, it, it was like, <laughs> 
<laughs> was like, forget it. And then, he, then not only knew, but he took the tape recorder and just went around the whole, uh, everywhere and played it for everybody. And he played it for Lou. And Lou says, okay, we're recording that tonight. It was already recorded. But we did it in the studio. We got everything clean. And funny, but not, nothing like the original. I was going to say, are you able, how were how you able to replicate his actual we, anger? We did it. And think, think about this. Lou set up the whole the recording studio and everything else. The bit took three minutes. <laughs> three oh minutes. Oh and then Lou's said, okay, do you guys have anything else? You know, hopefully. Oh, yeah, yeah, we got a few things. So, so we, and that was the only time we, we used the big studio. You know, Wait, so did you end up using the one that you did in the studio? Is that the oh, one yeah. we hear? Oh, okay. Yeah. That was so the one that do you have the original from the tape recorder? I wish I did, but no. Oh, wow. It got, it got, it got lost in the, in the shuffle. Wow. Oh, my God. The original was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny because you can hear the, 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 the hope. <laughs> the hope. Because after that, when we did it, he would kind of like, uh, you know, but it, but it was good for the record. It, it was, was, I mean, come on, that's the only one we all know. Yeah, and that's all. Iconic. And think about hysterical. this. Nobody had heard anything about Cheech and Chong. Next thing you know, they're playing Dave's Not Here in every radio station in America. <laughs> not only playing it, but they're saying, okay, we're going to play Dave's Not Here again in another five minutes. Stay tuned. We're going to do it. And it was nonstop. Nonstop, wow. Dave's not here. And, and one of the funniest stories that I, I, I can remember, I had a, um, uh, when, when I was just a guitar player, you know, in between gigs, I had a gig uh, playing for a, a carnival uh, strip show, you know, and, and it was a little carnival. And, and this, this club owner in Van, Vancouver, Iggy, he, uh, he had a little, side thing going with this carnival you know and he needed a guitar player and a drummer and he had the drummer but he needed the guitar player and i showed up and it was like you got a guitar yeah okay you're hired <laughs> and so so i i was in the playing you know and then they had these quite gorgeous uh black ladies from la you come and, and they were the dancers <laughs> and so and so i'm playing and, and of course there's one that was very very uh beautiful and she uh, her and I kind of became uh, entwined so to speak and uh, anyway her name was Pandora mm -hmm. and so then she, she's up in LA and, and, and her claim to fame her boyfriend was Johnny Guitar Watson who was a musician and so then Cheech and I we make the we, we come to LA you know we st struggle for a while we make the record. And then uh, we're, we're huge. And, and, and so uh, for some, I don't know how we got in touch, but anyway, Pandora, I ended up talking to Pandora and she goes, mm -hmm. right, you know, I'm gonna see you. And she hadn't seen me since uh, the old days and I had short hair and I was like Motown looking, you know? Yeah. And so then she pulls up in her car and I got long hair she wouldn't get out of her car 
she just stayed in the car, looked at me, and then she kind of rolled up the window and took off. And, and so then, about a week later, we got our billboards on Sunset oh <laughs> with God. the long hair. Oh <laughs> now no, I get a call from Pandora. Hi. <laughs> I'm having a bath right now. Uh, I'm all naked. And <laughs> I said, well, that's nice, but uh, I got to go. I, my wife's waiting for me. <laughs> so how, how did you and Shelby navigate this? Because she was with you when you, she was with you when you were, you, you were always entrepreneurial, which is interesting. You, you did that teen club right from the beginning. So you always yeah. had that yeah, smart yeah. business sense. Yeah. So she knew you when you were that, then you have this meteoric rise to superstardom. Does that impact your relationship in, in, well, it, it, it was going to. Luckily, we had she had kids and she had her French lessons, you know, that she was working on, and mm -hmm. and uh, and she had her 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 babies, uh, you know, she had, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Paris, you know, was uh, in there somewhere, you know. Uh, she had no, we, 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 we she she stayed in Babyland for a while, and and then. It was when she started dancing salsa, you know, and that's when I felt, oh, you know, I got to do something, you know. So that's when I started learning how to dance salsa myself. And then I uh, got her in the show, you know, she's working because she was, she's trying to work as an actress anyway, you know, and so she wanted to be in show business. And so, so I had her, you know, start uh, introducing me and then uh, when she became, you know, we, we really became partners. And when Chisha got back together again, you know, part of the thing was that, you know, we're not going to lose her. And she, she was part of the show the whole time, right up until uh, Cheech couldn't make it anymore. You know, his knees gave out on him. Yeah. And, uh, and my memory is, you know, uh, you know, we, can, we can't do that old show anymore. You know, it's done. And uh, I'll, I'll work her, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, I don't know who, but because well, I got a, I got another daughter, Precious, who's also a comedian. You know, and, and uh, you know, and Robbie and Ray Don are all show business people. You know, mm -hmm. so I think we got a lot of biopics coming up. Nice. Know? Yeah, I, I think we we can't talk about it apparently, but uh, but yeah, that's in the works. There's a lot and of Paris is your person, right? We were talking before we went on the air that yeah. your son Paris, like is your your eyes your ears your yeah 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 that that's how we're going to do it well listen dicky i would love to talk to you longer but i think you've given me a ton of your time and i'm so grateful tommy well i i love uh, hanging with you <laughs> you're the best thank you so much tommy and okay, i wish you all wonderful things and please give my love to shelby i will do that for sure okay. right now as a matter of fact don't do it.